Well, hey there, everybody. It's so good to be joining you today, and it's a privilege uh, for me to be sharing from the Word of God with you this morning. Um, today, we're wrapping up our series, A New Reality, um, and we're going to end with the theme, An Inability to Do Nothing. A new reality, the inability uh, to do nothing. Just as a quick recap, the first week Pastor Glenn spoke about Jesus and how Jesus never changes. He's always the same. And how we can take peace and comfort from that and strength as we face all the things that are changing around us. Week two, we talked about the church and how the church is built around the truth of Jesus Christ, but has many different expressions and often is changing, is changing in order to reach the, its community or to reach the lost or to, to be a better witness for Jesus Christ. But the truth of Jesus doesn't change. So we challenged ourselves that way. And then last week, we were challenged again by Glenn um, regarding being missional and how does the new realities that we face affect us as we try to reach out and share the love of Jesus with others. And we learned that we need to be salted light and, and our lives being lived as holy sacrifices for God uh, help us to show a difference between the way we are living and the way that other people might be living and the challenges they may be facing and how we can lean on the strength of Jesus as we uh, face those same challenges. Uh, this week, though, we want to wrap things up. And having said that we've understood about Jesus and uh, the truth that he doesn't change, understood about the church and how its expressions do change, under, uh, having understood about uh, being missional and engaging with our community. This week, we want to talk about this, this theme, the inability to do nothing in the face of new realities. Because while we might understand all of those great things that we've learned through the series, really, how do we then apply it? And that's what this week is all about. So, so excited that you've joined us. And with that, we're going to jump right into our scripture passages for today. First one is from Ephesians 6, uh, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Then in Galatians 5, again, Paul, the writer here, Galatians 5, verse 1, it says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself again to the yoke of sin or to the yoke of slavery. To sin is what Paul is talking about there. Keep standing firm. And then our main text today uh, comes to us from Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, and it's the story of Rahab and the spies. And I want to read a few verses uh, from this chapter to you this morning. Rahab and, and the spies, Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight, to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out these men that have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And, and when the gate uh, was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. 
But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to the death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And then over to Joshua chapter 6, just shows us the conclusion of this story. And uh, the Israelites had come, and the walls of Jericho had fallen, and it says this in verse 22, but the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the, so the young men who had been the spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers, all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Verse 25, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Shall we pray together today? God, we just thank you for the opportunity we, ha we have to connect uh, around your word, around the Bible, and to hear what you're saying to us today through scripture. Lord, I pray that no matter where we're listening from today, no matter what our situation is, um, that you would speak. Um, God, come by your spirit and speak to us. We thank you that you transcend time and you transcend space and distance. So while we're not physically together today, Lord, you are with us. You are speaking to us. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. We want to leave this time where we've gathered together changed. We want to leave this time a little bit more like your son, Jesus. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Colonel Joshua Chamberlain was about 34 years old when he led uh, the Maine, uh, Maine's 20th uh, Volunteer Infantry Regiment uh, for the Union during the Civil War. This month in July uh, in 1863, so that's about 160 years ago, uh, Chamberlain led this regiment into a very significant battle. Uh, this was the Battle uh, of Gettysburg. And within the Battle of Gettysburg, there was a number of fights, one that took place over uh, the hillside Little Round Top. 
And historians agree that the Battle of Gettysburg was very important and pivotal. Uh, had the Union not won that battle, it's debatable whether they would have won the war. Or we're not sure what exactly would have happened. And within the, within the Battle of Gettysburg, there was a number of skirmishes and fights. And uh, this one at Little Round Top um, is said to have been very significant and, uh, and helped uh, the Union win that, the overall battle at Gettysburg. And this was a new reality, being in the military for uh, Joshua Chamberlain. He was a colonel. And uh, this was a new reality for him. He had been educated, well-educated as a teacher. Uh, war was not necessarily his forte. And uh, it's worth mentioning that uh, he also was leading a team of volunteers, very much like himself, a volunteer regiment. So again, not professional soldiers. The point is that the odds were piled up against Chamberlain and his regiment when they came uh, to defend the hill uh, at Little Round Top. The situation, in short, was impossible. Gettysburg, of course, changed the course of the entire Civil War, and the battle was very important, but the, the odds were so stacked against Joshua Chamberlain. He was massively outnumbered. He was leading volunteers. In fact, his regiment also included members of Maine 2nd, who had just mutinied against their commanding officers. So uh, Colonel Joshua Chamberlain was required to integrate those men into his lines and to lead them. And even with all this chaos going on, and in this new reality uh, of the Civil War and fighting, Chamberlain was able to lead his regiment uh, in fending off four uh, advances, four charges from the fresh Confederate, Confederate army. Impossible situation. Chamberlain writes, after that fourth charge, there was no way that they could hold off a fifth. They were running low on ammunition, their canteens were empty, no water. Uh, men were dying all around him, and uh, the numbers, his numbers were shrinking uh, drastically. And he writes that there was no way to fend off a, a fifth charge. So what do you do when you're facing an impossible situation like that? Now, I know uh, being at war is not something that we're necessarily familiar with. But in your own life, facing impossible situations, facing new realities that are difficult to adjust to, what is it that we do? What can we do? in situations like that. Well, the Apostle Paul just wrote, as we read in Galatians and in Ephesians, that we need to stand firm, right? Putting on the whole armor of God, stand firm, stand therefore. That's how the next verse begins. In Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and don't put the yoke of sin upon yourself again. Not only did Colonel Chamberlain lead his men to stand firm, but they also went on the offensive. Chamberlain gave the order uh, for the few men that were left uh, to fix bayonets and to charge down the hill uh, into the Confederate army. It was, it was a suicide mission it, at best. It was a futile effort for, to be sure. Chamberlain writes many years later that what propelled him to lead his men down the hill and command a charge was the inability to do nothing. The inability in himself to do nothing. Ephesians tells us that we might not be in a war physically, but we are in a war against spiritual forces, against powers and principalities, forces of darkness. And yet so many times we, we give up. We give up. 
Like Paul said to the Galatians, don't put that yoke of sin back on. But we do put that yoke of sin back on, returning to the things that we know are wrong, returning to addictions and not getting the help we need to break them. Not getting the help we need when we know that we're mentally suffering. Not taking the time to to pray and get into God's word and to build ourselves up in our faith when we know that we should. Giving in to the belief that we don't have the strength to be missional, to reach out to our community. That we don't have the capacity to love others the way that we should. We want to cling at times to our traditions rather than the truth that they are founded upon. We want to cling to our traditions because it's easier than to cling to the truth that they're founded upon and find new and innovative expressions to reach the lost. Sometimes we think that because Jesus doesn't change, as we rightly heard during this series, because Jesus doesn't change, we think sometimes that we shouldn't change either. What we fail to realize is that because Jesus doesn't change, he then gives us the power to change, to respond to the new realities that we face. Sometimes we get complacent. We see a new reality on the horizon and we feel like we don't have the energy, we don't have the creativity, we don't have the power to respond. But then there is someone like a Joshua Chamberlain that we hear about. We hear a story in history about a man who says he had the inability to do nothing. That means that he had to do something. He wasn't just going to wait for the enemy to come and take over that hill. He was going to lead his regiment to the last. It's the kind of resolve that we all need when we're facing new realities and new challenges. It's same for us in the spiritual sense. There are men and women in history that speak to us of that kind of resolve, of that inability to do nothing. Chamberlain is one of them, of course. He's a historical example of someone who is facing a new reality, and despite the logical calculation, the risk, the the odds that were stacked against him, the lack of ability, he demonstrates the inability to do nothing. A more modern example would be Congressman John Lewis in the United States out of Atlanta, Georgia, recently passed away, just this past week, in fact. He stands out, as do other leaders, He was a towering figure in the civil rights movement, graduate of seminary, a pastor, a preacher. He was nicknamed the preacher by his family, and Lewis had the inability to do nothing. In the 1960s, he graduated seminary, and against the wishes of his parents and his family, he went out to get into what he called good trouble. And of course, if you do a little bit of research into John Lewis, you'll see a long, long history of leading his people for equal rights. He was beaten and bloodied many times, arrested many, 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 many times, was nonviolent, protested, led his people with dignity towards equal rights. Lewis said this last year, he said, do not get lost in a sea of despair. He was talking about change. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Who else is going to stand in their inability to do nothing? Maybe someone who's listening to this message today. 
Maybe you need to get into some good trouble. Maybe you need to stand up for the truth that is unchanging in a new and innovative expression. Maybe you need to uh, stir up resolve uh, in yourself to chase down the purpose and plan that God has for your life in this new reality that we're facing. This is why we're focusing on this message today, because we've heard truth these last number of weeks. But how do we respond to the new realities that we are facing. Jesus doesn't change, but he enables us to change. The church is called to keep the truth, the truth, but expressions will change. In being missional, we want to be salt and light, differentiating ourselves through holy living. But how do we take and apply all of that? Well, today, I think the story of Rahab gives us some clues to how we can do that. And just over the next few minutes, we want to unpack that story a bit because Rahab was someone who had the inability to do nothing when she faced a new reality. She had the inability to do nothing. She was going to do something to respond to this new reality and to survive. Not only to survive, but to thrive as change came her way. The first thing that Rahab did was she embraced the new reality that was coming her way. Joshua 2.9 says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon all of us. For we have heard how the Lord, Lord uh, dried up the water of the Red Sea, and she recounts some of the miracles that God did. And then she says this, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She recognized the new reality and had the inability to just sit still and do nothing and to, to accept it as it came. In fact, I, I kind of think of it this way, that maybe she sort of thought about it as an opportunity. It says that the, the men, the spies, went and lodged there and that she was a prostitute. And uh, historians will tell us that it's not likely that Rahab ran just a brothel there uh, with prostitutes. It's more likely that it was a tavern of sorts, maybe a way station that people were coming in doing business and transactions would stop and, and w get things weighed or stop and have a drink or whatever the case may be. And then, yes, she was a prostitute. And so um, that was also happening out of her establishment. But people were lodging there. And so it could be that she come to her here that these gentlemen were lodging there and saw an opportunity. We don't know exactly, but what we do know is that she knew that God was God. And she knew what God had done. And she saw the writing on the wall, so to speak, and recognized, if I don't do something here, uh, things are not going to go well for me. Rahab embraced the new reality and acted upon it. The second thing about Rahab that I want us to observe is that she was a mistake maker and an outsider. She was a mistake maker and an outsider. Joshua 2.1 says, And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. James 2.25 says this about Rahab, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Rahab was a mistake maker. We know what the Bible teaches about sex. We know that sex is meant for a marriage between a husband and wife. And outside of that, we know that sex is sin. And, uh, and so that's what the Bible teaches us. So we know that Rahab was outside of that teaching quite clearly. She was a mistake maker. She was a mistake maker, and yet she didn't allow her mistakes to keep her from doing something. 
You see, sometimes we say as Christians, man, my past is this, and I've done this, and I haven't seen necessarily the faithfulness of God in these great sort of ways, and so it feeds a sense of complacency in us. A sense of, no, I'm not going to do anything because God might not come through. Because of past disappointments, I can't reach forward with a sense of hope and expectancy. And yet here Rahab, the mistake maker, her very profession outside of the teaching of God's word said, I can't sit here and do nothing. There's a new reality coming and I need to respond to that reality. Will your mistakes keep you from doing something? Or are you able to rise above them? You know, what's fascinating is Rahab is actually in the lineage of Jesus Christ, along with many other mistake makers, David uh, being among them. David was a murderer. He loved the Lord, but he was a murderer. David was an adulterer. He loved the Lord, but he made mistakes. Another aspect to Rahab in this second point, mistake maker, but also outsider. Rahab, it's written of Rahab. She's a prime example of a foreigner who responded to the faith of Israel's God, who responded in faith to Israel's God. In the New Testament, Rahab is included with four other women in Jesus' lineage, Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. All but Mary were foreigners. All but Mary were foreigners. You know, the gospel is not exclusive. The gospel is inclusive. And it's sometimes that word inclusive is a word that we're afraid of in the church because of how maybe society wants to define that. I believe that's a word we need to pick up, we need to own, we need to celebrate, that we are inclusive. We want all people to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We're welcoming of all people. We want people to be encountered by love, uh, Jesus Christ's love and to be changed by his presence. The gospel is inclusive. And we see that here in Rahab's story. God brought an outsider in, and she did not let the fact that she was an outsider keep her from doing something. The inability to do nothing. Rahab was going to do something. Whether she was a mistake maker or an outsider, she was going to do something. You can only make mistakes if you are doing something. If you don't do anything, if you play it safe, you'll never make a mistake. You'll not learn. Mistake-making is part of learning. Mistake-makers take up full residence in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's a great message for you and I today. No matter what mistakes we've made, no matter where we're from, what color our skin is, what country we're from, what culture we're a part of, we can be a part of the kingdom of God. The gospel is inclusive. So Rahab embraced the new reality. Rahab was a mistake maker and an outsider. And thirdly, and finally, Rahab flew the color red outside her window. Rahab flew the color red outside her window. Exodus 12, um, when the Israelites were still in captivity in Egypt, uh, the concept of Passover uh, comes to us in Exodus 12. And that was when they painted blood over their doorposts and lentils of their homes as a sign for the Lord as he went through the land to destroy the Egyptians on their behalf. Likewise, Rahab's scarlet cord was assigned to the Israelites as they entered Jericho to take it over. It was assigned to them to pass over um, her house. Today, this begs the question for us. Rahab was 
was flying the colors red. And in doing so, she was saying, you know what? I believe in, in your God. He is the one true God. I believe in him. And it was a sign to the Israelites, hey, that's Rahab. We're, we're going to rescue her and her family. And so it begs the question today, the question of us is, you know, what colors are we flying today? What indication are we giving off? Where do we stand? The New Testament rightly commends Rahab for her faith, emphasizing what she did for the Israelite spies. That happens in the scripture I already mentioned, James 2.25. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? And then again in Hebrews 11, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she was welcomed, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. What colors are we flying? What flag is flying? Whose banner is flying? Who are we with? Is another way of putting that. What colors are flying from our window? You see, today the challenge for us is, are we willing to embrace change that's upon us? A new reality that's upon us? Are we comfortable to make mistakes as Rahab did? And despite that, she reached out for something more. Are we at peace with our past? Whenever a new reality comes upon us, there is a dissonance. There is a challenge because we're all of a sudden made to feel uncomfortable. It's no longer business as usual and we have to change. And so dissonance can set in and dissonance can give rise to discouragement and complacency. And today, by God's power and the spirit of the Lord, I believe that we can break out of that. And we can stand up and find that ability, inability to do nothing and to respond to the new realities that are before us. Are you willing to embrace the inability to do nothing in the face of insurmountable odds? Are you willing to find that inability to do nothing, to charge down that proverbial hill, even though it's a futile effort, flying the scarlet cord out the window? That must have seemed ridiculous to her families and friends. Hey, come into my house. We're going to be saved by, by this cord that I'm hanging in the window. It might have seemed like a futile effort. But Rahab had the inability to do nothing. Just as we begin to prepare to worship again this morning, uh, bands coming back, and we're going to take some time and, uh, to hear the Lord's voice as we worship him. I believe God can speak to you, and I believe that he can change your life by the power of your spirit, of his spirit, as we worship him. And as we do so, I want you to think about these things, the inability to do nothing. What are the new realities that you're facing? We've talked a lot about COVID-19 and, and all of that, and that surely has changed life. It is, it is a new reality, so to speak. And for you, where you're at, how has that affected you? How has that affected your walk with Christ? And maybe there are other realities that are encroaching upon you. Maybe you've begun to question the purpose and the dreams that are in your heart that God has sown into your, your spirit. How are you going to respond to this challenge today? The odds at Gettysburg were, were bad. We talked about that battle. Talked about Joshua Chamberlain and him coining the phrase, the inability to, to do nothing. But as those men charged down the hill, there was another uh, person who played a role, a significant role in that battle at Little Round Top. Not well celebrated and the name's not well known, 
uh, he was a sergeant, Sergeant Andrew Tozer. Andrew Tozer. Andrew Tozer had come from the main second. That regiment that I mentioned was disbanded and most of them sent home and then the remainders, they mutin uh, mutinied. And then they were uh, commanded to integrate with the main 20th. And Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, uh, in efforts to try and integrate, chose uh, Andrew Tozer, the sergeant, to be the sergeant of the colors, to, to fly the colors of the infantry. And so the historians record that as the, the, as the command was given to charge down the hill, in all the chaos and the noise of everything that was going on, out ahead of everyone went Sergeant Tozer flying the colors of Maine's 20th. The colors, the flags. And as the men saw the flags, it was a rallying point for them. They knew where to run. They knew how to run. They were inspired to run right into uh, the face of the enemy uh, who was ready for them. And if you know a little bit about history, you know what happened. In fact, the enemy, thousands of soldiers, thousands of Confederate soldiers, in the face of just a handful of these soldiers, brave as they were, Confederate soldiers disbanded and retreated. But it was because the courage of Joshua Chamberlain, to be sure, but also the courage of a young man named Andrew Tozer, who went out ahead flying the colors See, today, the challenge for us as we close is what colors are we flying today? What colors are we flying outside of our window, representative of the idea that we are going to do something? A new reality is upon us, change is upon us, and we are going to do something. Should we pray today? Father God, we... Um, we recognize today that in our humanity, uh, the things that we do can be futile. Without your strength, without your spirit leading and guiding us. And so today, in these few moments, as we uh, worship you, God, I pray that you would come and you would speak and you would lead and guide us. Lord, we don't want to do things in our own strength, but we do want to stand firm in you. And we do want to find that core in our own hearts and lives where we say we have the inability to do nothing. As new realities come upon us, as change comes upon us, we want to stand firm upon your truth and do something. Lord, we want to do something to reach uh, our neighbors and those who inhabit our worlds. We want to reach them for you. We want to do something. Help us, God. Lord, I pray for those who have had a calling, have had purpose, and they've sort of walked away from it or put it up on the shelf and uh, have gone about responsibilities in an admirable way. But Lord, there is something else that you have for them and they're listening today. Lord, I pray that they would find the inability to do nothing. They would answer that call. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to stand with you and to be led of your spirit even if it means charging down the hill in a futile effort, Lord. Help us to fly the colors of faith and courage in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless each one who's listening to this message today and show yourself strong. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.